Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, including five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, the Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, the Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, the Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. And I just put an 845 number through and let's see. Susan, if that is you in the 845-706 prefix, um, the phone is um, making a really alarming noise. We've had so many technical difficulties on the show lately, so I'm hoping that um, Susan will just call back in. Tonight we have a wonderful guest joining us, 
Dr. Kate Lund, and Kate Lund is a licensed clinical psychologist and a performance coach with more than 15 years of experience. She has specialized training in the medical psychology from Shriners Hospital for Children in Boston, and um, she's a psychologist, and she's going to be talking about resilience and helping children with anxiety. So let's see if this is Susan in the 845. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Hooray. I'm so glad. Hear that awful sound that it was making when I tried to put you through? Could not hear that awful sound. But once again, okay. my landline my landline is not working. Wow. Yeah. Well, so you sound mm, so on I'm, on, I'm on a I'm on a cell phone in a place where the cell phone coverage is at best pretty sketchy so let's see can you still hear me yep i can hear you okay i'm moving i'm i have to bring my charger with me because i'm not fully charged enough for two hours um and let's see how about your glass too oh yeah that would be good susan all right we're moving to a place where i think our coverage is just a tad better in the house Better? You can hear me. Yeah, I can hear you pretty good. There's some a couple weird noises, but hopefully this will end as I settle down. Yeah. I hear kind of like beeping. Yeah, I'm not sure what that is. Yeah, there's some beeping. Okay, but I think we've got it stopped now. Yeah. Okay. Yep, sounds good now. I was just telling the guests about the the um the the our guest that's going the to be on here the listeners wonderful guest woman. That's on. No, that, that I'll be interviewing at nine o'clock. I was sitting here thinking, wow, um, tomorrow you and I would be on our way to Jamaica. Yeah, I would actually be leaving today. Was my plane ticket? Um, I just looked at my planner and it said that I just found my planner from uh, yeah. our move. I, everything been displaced, and I was looking for my notebook to write my notes tonight. And then there it was, and I was like, "Oh, it's supposed to be leaving <laughs> this morning." And I, you know, and I must admit that I still feel pretty hurt that we were just yeah. I mean, not to not to even mention that I have never before had anybody cancel an event where I had a contract and refused to pay the plane ticket that I had already paid for since they're the ones canceling and refused to give me a cancellation fee, just won't even talk to me. And so, you know, I think, wow, well, what can I do? That You know, the only thing I can do is to say publicly, these people are treating me very, very unfairly, and I leave it to listeners to decide. I'm not going to suggest what you should do about Michael meditations. I'm just going to say they are treating me in an extremely unfair manner, and it hurts. Yeah, and I I guess that they have uh, canceled all of their special guests because they had like a number of special guests lined up for um, the next year, and they've now canceled canceled all of them. And um, one of them had contacted me and. She was like, oh, you know, are you still going? She didn't know that we were canceled. And, and she said, well, they just canceled me as well and then found out that they canceled all their special yeah. guests now. 
And I, it's mm-hmm. being canceled. Being canceled hurts a little. It always does, of course. But what hurts is that I the ticket that cost me a lot of money, an airline ticket, a non-refundable airline ticket, and they won't even pay me for the ticket. I've been canceled mm-hmm. before. It happens, you know. And, it, you know, sometimes it happens really close to the time. Um, I understand things come up in people's lives. They change their minds. But what what is upsetting to me is that they are not acting in a responsible fashion. If you cancel, if you make a contract with somebody to come and teach for you, and then you call them and say, I don't want you to come – and they've already bought their airline ticket, then you owe them for that airline ticket. I didn't do it on spec. I asked them if I should buy that ticket, and they said yes. I know. It's not right. It's, I've, it's I, just not right. And those it's tickets okay are expensive. I mean, somebody. Yeah. They had paid for mine, and then they they somehow were able to refund it without my permission before even asking me. Like, they had done it so quickly. It was – but, I, Yeah. Well, they didn't really <laughs> anything. They just canceled it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they may not have even gotten a refund. I don't know. But I bought the ticket. They didn't buy my ticket. Yeah, but they were supposed to reimburse you. And that was in the of contract. Supposed, I think it, that. Of course it's in the contract that, that they yeah. will reimburse me. And usually if there's a contract, they get a cancellation fee, which is half of the money that I would be owed. Mm-hmm. But, but what I'm saying is that I'm going to let other people decide, you know, how reliable and trustworthy people who act like this are. I'm, I'm not going to decide for anybody else. And I think it's interesting that we talk about this with um, Dr. Kate Lund because mm. it really is something I think that she's talking about. She's talking about resilience. Mm-hmm. And having challenges and pushing limits. And so I'm really looking forward to listening to what she has to say and to to hearing her insight into this. Meanwhile, I have one of the biggest patches of mallow outside the barn I've ever seen in my life. Mm. Yeah, the mallow. Is yes, that- Malva, neglect- Malva Neglecta. What a wonderful name for it, right? The Neglected Malva. And I love it. The, I love it, too, because it just creeps about, minding its own business and having nice big leaves that are so good in the fall salads, and they're just so soothing. And pretty, pretty little pink flowers at a time when you just don't think anything is going to bother the flower. Mm-hmm. And then those wonderful seed pods that give it its other name, cheeses, because they look mm-hmm. like little Edom cheeses. Now I know yeah, you I can dig up the root. Of, I know you can dig up the root of it and use it, but I haven't ever. Have you? I did put some root and some vinegar, um, just like the whole kind of plant that we were going to take out of an area of our garden. And so, yeah. And yeah, it makes a really good vinegar. Ooh. Did it have a particular taste? Flowers and everything. 
You put the leaves, um, the flowers, and then the whole plant. Yeah, that was the whole plant. So. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I didn't taste much, and I don't think the roots have much taste to them, actually. No, they're kind of bland and mucilaginous. So the yeah, so it made a good it made a good vinegar in the sense of it preserved the plant well. Not that it was yeah, a tasty vinegar. Not that it was a tasty vinegar, vinegar, but I think like any of the herbal infused vinegars, even if they don't have much of a taste, there's like a depth to them, you know, that you can really feel. That is so true. Mm-hmm. I I certainly do lean for the toward the more flavorful ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but yeah, they but are always, all have, wonderful. And you want to preserve them really quickly. It's like that's like the thing. And you have vinegar. It's like the thing to do. You know, it's so easy. It is. It's it's so much fun to have a shelf full of vinegars. Yeah. Do we have anybody with questions tonight? Yeah, we have just a couple callers with their hands raised, but there are a lot of people on the line. If you have a question for Susan, make sure to press 1 to speak with her. And we will go to our first caller in the 650 area code. Oh, hi, Susan. This is Ron. And um, I have a Hi. I have a few herb questions. A, a lot of hedge nettle grows where I live. And I don't know if you're, it's called Stracus bullata, and I think it's in the mint family. And I was wondering what you can do with this herb, because it grows everywhere. All members of the mint family can be safely used and eaten. Some are far more aromatic. So they get a lot of our attention. The aromatic ones like rosemary and thyme and basil and tulsi and oregano, catnip and lemon balm, dead nettles, the hedge nettles, which aren't nettles, of course, at all, but mints in the mint family, Mm -hmm. uh, don't have scents generally. This one is pretty scentless. Mild. It's mild. That's what I was why I was wondering about it. Yeah. It's mild and it has yeah. kind of furry leaves. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And there there are um the commonest wild spearmint in my area is very hairy leaved. Okay. Like mullen. Mm-hmm. That much, that much hair on the wild spearmint in the area. So the, so Although many of the mints don't have hairy leaves, they certainly can. And there are some some mints like motherwort, which are quite bitter. Whorehound, they can have very bitter principles in them. So you would have to taste your particular variety. And if it's too bitter, then you say, ah, this is really too bitter to use. Whorehound, when I was you know, first introduced to herbalism in the late 60s, whorehound was used a lot. Mm-hmm. And now, and now it's an herb that is considered old-fashioned, and nobody uses it. And one of the reasons it's gone out of use is because it's so bitter, mm-hmm. and people no longer are accustomed to very bitter tastes. Mm. There are a f- couple of mints, Salvia divinorum, most 
spectacularly, but also um, a Leonurus, Leonurus leontinus, also known as wild daga, both of which are psychoactive. Oh. <laughs> they do have to be taken in specific ways. It's not like if you taste your plant, you're going to have an LSD trip. Mm-hmm. But just to cover the whole realm of mints and their possible things, since you're going to be experimenting with the mint, my guess is that what you're going to discover is that this plant is a little bit more bitter than bland and may not be really calling out to you to eat it. But mm-hmm. I await whatever you discover. Oh, right. Yeah, and so it would be safe to eat and just try in a salad just for a little bit of a spark, I guess. The first thing that I usually do with a plant that I'm uncertain about is I take leaf and I crush it between my fingers. Mm-hmm. I then bring that crushed leaf to my nose. Yeah. I do my best to observe my visceral reaction, my mm-hmm. gut reaction to it. Is it mm-hmm. to spit or to swallow? <laughs> right? Then yeah. I put it in my mouth. Mm-hmm. And again, I observe, do I want to spit or do I want to swallow? Mm-hmm. And if both the smell and the flavor are off-putting, then I generally don't experiment anymore. Good advice, yeah. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. do that before I put it in salad or make a remedy of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's good to hear that you can put mallow in salads. I'm kind of new to this, and it grows everywhere, and I'm trying that mallow. Yay, mallow. Mm-hmm. Because I'm kind of, this time of year, running out of stuff to put in salads. I'm completely loving that uh, the Queen Anne's Lace. I saw your video on it. I, I love that stuff. Mm. Well, there's lots of first-year Queen Anne's Lace Delcus Corota leaves about it. It's a biennial plant. And the first-year leaves are at their biggest right now. They smell like carrot. So I'm never worried about confusing them with poisonous plants. So I'm using wild carrot leaves, using malva leaves in the salad. The garlic mustard leaves, which is also a biennial plant, are also very big and lush right now. Goldenrod flowers are very nice addition to fall salads. Mm-hmm. And every aster can be eaten, like the mint. Yes, there's a lot Some of them. Those. Are- Mm-hmm. Yes, some of them are more edible than others, but every ester, especially every ester flower, can be eaten. Some of the ester family flowers, well, I guess flowers or flower buds or flower seeds that we use would include sunflower seeds, artichokes. We also, echinacea is in the same family, chamomile is in the same family, so is lettuce. So that's another thing that can be added to fall salads because the asters continue to, and goldenrods usually continue to bloom right up until there's a lot of snow. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm in California without snow. 
<laughs> ah, no snow at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-mm. Mallow, but, but, but mallow, as you say, grows from coast to coast. Yeah, and and there's a lot of asters growing right now too. And you can Wonderful. eat as much of that as you want. Good. Cool. Okay. I had another question about dandelions. There seems to be three flowering plants. One I know is dandelion because you've said it has that hollow stem and it just looks different and a long, a long root. But there's two other ones that have the same similar flower. And I can't really identify them, but it's just the dandelion that that we're eating, isn't it? That the, the one with the hollow stem. The other one has multiple flowers on it and some kind of um, rough leaves that are sticky with like pimply looking things on them. But those. So before, I was talking about asters, but I was also talking about the aster family. Okay. And dandelion is in the aster family. Common color for flowers in the aster family is yellow. The aster family used to be called Oh, we lost Susan. So she'll be calling back. Um, I know last week was we had so many drop calls but let's hope that she calls right back in but was it the composite the composite family the composite ACA family that she was just talking about let's see and so all of those ones that look like dandelions, yes, they would be more like an aster or in the aster family. They, and including dandelion, they including oh, dandelion in the aster family. Okay. So and I, anything, you can eat all of those, huh? Okay. Yeah. Yes, that doesn't mean you will like them. Yeah. It doesn't mean yeah, they'll they're do edible. the same thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Try them out. Mm-hmm. The ones yeah. with the yellow flowers and the rougher leaves and the multiple flower heads are often called hawkweeds. Okay. But DYC is good. You heard me. Ta- I knew. I know. I cut out at some point, but you heard me talking about mm-hmm. the DYCs. Good. I'm. Yeah, I'm not sure. The DYCs, I'm not sure if I darn, heard that. Y- darn yellow compositas. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I didn't hear you are, say that, are, but now I there do. Are, there are thousands of yellow compositas. Yellow is the favorite color for composita, new name, aster okay. flowers. Mm-hmm. So, I'll when you said oh, there's two, when you said there's two others that look like it, I thought she doesn't even begin to know. There's more like twenty thousand that look like it. I'm exaggerating. Oh no. Yeah. Okay. But there oh, are. Right. I'm going to check them out. A lot mm-hmm. of yellow aster-like flowers, yellow dandelion-like mm-hmm. flowers. Absolutely. Mhm. Okay. 
I have a question about sun protection. I started using the um, St. John's Ward, and it works really well. And I've heard you talk about going to Costa Rica. What's with zinc oxide? Is that a no-no? You know, like just something that isn't isn't good for your skin? I think zinc oxide is fine. I haven't heard anybody say there's anything wrong with it. I think people don't like it because it looks it, it's white. Mhm. So if you were in the in the tropics, that might be a good thing to add to the mix with the zinc oxide. Would or do you think the St. John's Wort is as effective as a sunscreen or sunblock? I have never added zinc oxide to it. I have never found that I needed to. Okay, I'm new to the Saint as a Saint Jones Wort, so I'm going to stick with it. It's really nice stuff. It is, isn't it? Mhm, mhm. Yes, very nice. And um, so many people say that it's more effective for them than anything else, including mm-hmm. regular sunscreen. And yeah, I think well, that regular it, I think that it I think it teaches your skin how to be healthy in the sun. I think it doesn't just block the sun. I think it actually teaches your skin how to relate to the sun. Mm -hmm. And you've said it lets the vitamin D in too. It allows you to start the process of making vitamin D, yes. Vitamin D doesn't, it's not like there's vitamin D in sunlight that gets let in. Yeah. The manufacturing of the of the constituents of vitamin D is a rather complex process, including both kidneys, liver, and skin, all of which mm-hmm. have to work together to create vitamin D in your body. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, thank you, Susan. You are a welcome. Lot of info. Thanks for your questions. Green blessings. Okay. Green blessings. Thank you. Our next is coming from the 608 area code. Hello? Hi. Uh, My name is Fern. Um, I'm calling because um, three weeks ago I was admitted into the hospital with cellulitis. I had 105 fever. Um, It was caused from a staph infection. It spread to my lymph nodes and into my bloodstream. I, for the third time in my entire life. I'm 49 years, 44 years old. I'm not 49 years old. I'm 44 years old, and it's the third or fourth time I've ever been on an antibiotic. One, I want to cleanse my body of that antibiotic, and two, I want to know why I still have um, some heat and redness and water retention in my leg, because the doctors say it's normal, but obviously that's not what a leg is supposed to look like. So I'm just curious if you have um, any ideas for those two questions. Okay. First, let me say that cleaning and cleansing is code for damage and destroy. Yes. I probably should not have used those words. I would like to... I have I have a yeast infection from my from the um antibiotic that is horrific and mm-hmm. um very uncomfortable. So I guess mm-hmm. I'm thinking not necessarily so they, like they just, a cleanse. They just they yes, not a cleanse at all. Please never, no. ever, ever cleanse. 
You can't, in fact, you can't cleanse antibiotics from anything. You can remove them from your body so that they then go into the water that you drink. But you can't get rid of antibiotics. Once they are made, they are on this planet forever. Yeah, so how, um, I guess more so that, of a punishment. So cleanse is really, really not the word to use at all since we don't want to damage and destroy our bodies and we cannot get rid of antibiotics at all. They just came out with the results of a very interesting study in which they had not a lot of people. It was under 100 people. Um, who had been given a very heavy-duty course of antibiotics like you've experienced. And they divided them into three groups. And one group got placebo pills, and one group got probiotic pills, and one group got um, their own feces in pills, which which they had stored from before they took the antibiotics. In other words, knowing they were going to have antibiotics, they had their feces saved so that after the antibiotics, they could eat it. Hmm. I know this sounds really awful. It's saved. It's dehydrated. It's dried. It's put into pills. It's not gross at all, Um, even though thinking about it is kind of gross. (laughs) <laughs> the mm. results the results were pretty remarkable the people who got the placebos and the people who got the it was a mixture of 11 probiotic strains did about the same only huh. the people who got their own feces really came back to what they had before the antibiotics now that's said, that said, there was a subgroup of people who got the probiotics who did respond very strongly to them. And this appears to be a genetic choice. Some people are resistors and some people are acceptors, according to the scientists. And the resistors resist any things colonizing their gut. And the acceptors accept things colonizing their gut. Both resistors and acceptors are recolonized by your own feces, but only the acceptors are recolonized by eating anything with probiotics in it. That's very interesting. <laughs> well, what about, what about um, the water retention? I have and the redness, and I guess I'm just, I'm feeling like I, I went into the hospital and I, I got some help. I obviously am no longer, you know, my blood work has come back normal, whatever that means. Um, there's no more infection in my blood, I guess I should say. Um, my lymph nodes have gone down a little bit for the most part. They're still pretty sore in certain areas. But definitely water retention in my leg and difficulty with um, swelling if I walk and, um the heat, you know, there's like a red, the, the typical red in the front and the heat um, on mm-hmm. the front of my leg. So I just want to go back because I'm not yet done with the, the antibiotics and the probiotics. Oh, okay. Um, because what they didn't use in their trials was bacteria from the soil. 
And I am a very big fan of bacteria from the soil. And what I suggest that people do after they've had, of course, of antibiotics is to, insofar as they can, get produce from a local garden or your own garden and where possible not to wash it before eating it. I don't want okay, you to we- wear your teeth down with grit. But for instance, we've been talking this evening about picking mallow leaves, malva leaves from malva neglecta and putting them in your salad. And they are close enough to the ground to have soil bacteria on them, but not dirty. So those leaves can be picked, put in your salad, and eaten to get more soil bacteria. Or if you, for instance, take a carrot out of the ground and rub it on something to get the dirt off rather than washing it, then there will still be a lot of soil bacteria on it. And I find that soil bacteria are the best at recolonizing. Okay. I can do that. We have a community garden that we get our produce from. So radishes Great. are still in and spinach is coming up and cabbage. So that's all possible for me to do. Yes. Good. Wonderful. And without washing the cabbage, you might want to ferment some of that into a lacto-fermented sauerkraut, which is ready to eat in a week. Because what we also know is that any probiotic that's in food form is far more useful than a probiotic that's not in solid form. So sauerkraut, far more effective than yogurt. Yogurt, yards more effective than kombucha. Okay. So kraut slash kimchi first. Oh, my goodness. If there's any problem with gut flora, we're certainly not putting pepper into our gut. Okay. That's rather no. like saying, I have a wound here. Should I light a match to it? Oh, so you're saying like hot pepper? I'm saying that any hot pepper in a gut that's disturbed by antibiotics is counterintuitive and should obviously not be used at all. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. Okay, no pepper. Well, let me ask you this. How does pepper make your tongue feel? Cool and calm and soft and healed? (laughs) No. Oh, how does pepper make your tongue feel? Hot, burning. (laughs) This is how you want your gut to feel. Yeah, that makes sense. Because your tongue is the beginning of your gut. Okay. Skip so, the kimchi, no. sauerkraut. <laughs> Skip the kimchi, sauerkraut, correct. Right. Okay. Okay, now, herbs that courage lymphatic flow are first and foremost cleavers. Gallium moluga, a wonderful plant, and tincture of cleavers has been used to help relieve water retention in limbs where the lymphatic flow has been disrupted for some reason. The image that's usually put out is that cells are a little bit like balloons. 
When you blow up a balloon, if you deflate it, the balloon isn't as small as it was before you blew it up, is it? Right. And that our cells are like that too, when they are very distended, that they don't go to being as small as they were, and so it's easier to hold fluid. A stronger herb for the lymphatic system is poke, Cytolacca americana. It's used only as a tincture of the fresh root. And the dosage usually starts with one drop. It's extremely, extremely powerful herb and can cause uh, symptoms of poisoning. Okay. Only a fresh root. Okay. Yeah. So you either have to find poke and make your own poke root tincture because it's not something you can go to a store and buy. Or I believe the people at Red Moon Herbs make fresh poke root tincture and Catskill Mountain Herbals makes poke root tincture. What was the first um, place that you said? Red Moon Herbs. Oh, Gill Mountain Herbals. Okay. Are two companies that I know make poke root tincture. There are probably others. But it's not an easy to find item. Okay. It is, how, it is however, an incredibly useful um, anti infective. Okay. One of the things that many people have taken to doing is if they're going to be taking antibiotics, to take echinacea along with the antibiotics. That seems to make the antibiotics more effective against the disease-causing organism and a little softer on the other thing. Okay. I think that... um... I mean, I know I was taking echinacea right before um, uh, tea, but I'm definitely not during when I was in the hospital. So that is good. Yeah, to know. and I person I personally do not find echinacea tea to be of any value. Somebody else had told me that, and I, I just yeah okay. So uh, are you saying maybe like a tincture? What kind of echinacea did you have that you were making into a tea? Um, it was a blend that somebody had made themselves that um, they put it in. It had echinacea in it. It had, um, I don't even, I don't remember. It was so many weeks ago and so much trauma has happened during the time that I, I don't really remember. I, that, would, that would be appropriate if you had a cold coming on. Yeah. But it's not appropriate for massive infection. For massive infection, you need echinacea alone, not diluted with any other herb. And echinacea tincture and the tincture of the root of augustifolia. Okay. And then you need to take enough of it in large enough doses. And the dose is usually one dropper full for every 50 pounds of body weight. So if you weigh 150 pounds, that would be three dropper fulls. And the kind of infection that you're talking about, I would be taking that amount of echinacea every hour. 
um, as it is right now with, with still having all of these issues, you're saying to do it right now or back when I... I am not, I, I am not suggesting that you take echinacea right now. I started out by saying that echinacea is often taken with antibiotics, but that on its oh, okay. own, it is usually sufficient so long as you take the uh, enough of the echinacea, so long as you take it often enough, and so long as you have the form of echinacea, in other words, echinacea augustifolia tincture, by itself, yes. nothing else with it, and not probably had was echinacea purpurea root, which has no effectiveness when it's dried, mixed with a bunch of other herbs. Okay. And I generally do not do that. I use one herb at a time. That way yeah. I know what's happening. That is something that I heard you say on one of these talks probably um, six or eight months ago, and I had never been taught that before, but I've noticed being able to, like, really look at what, like, I know exactly what's happening to my body and what's happening to it because there's just one thing that I don't have to make a guess, and that was, like, such an eye-opening to me. I appreciate that so much. And just to check in, you are drinking your nourishing herbal infusions. Well, no, <laughs> I'm not. And I don't even know at this point. I mean, I do when I have my cycles. I mean, I definitely, I have nettle that I take all the time. I mix sometimes with red raspberry. I know we're doing no, elderberry. I, um, excuse me. That does not sound to me like you know what a nourishing herbal infusion is. Okay, tell me. If you were drinking nettle as a nourishing herbal infusion, you would weigh out one ounce of dried nettle and combine that with one quart of boiling water and let that steep for four to ten hours. Is that what you're doing? We're not going to mix it with anything. Hmm. Okay. I'm just writing... Um, you you make an you make a stinging nettle infusion, and I'm not clear what it has to do with your period. My goodness, do you, are you saying that I should have stopped drinking infusion when I got to menopause? No, 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 not at all. Okay, well at 72, I am still drinking a quart of infusion every day, and I feel you know that it, I am thriving because of it. And I encourage as many people as I can to get into the habit of making nourishing herbal infusion for themselves and their loved ones. I okay. rotate through stinging nettle, oat straw, red clover, linden, and comfrey leaf. I suggest those five as a foundation. And if you want to, in any given week, throw in a little extra one for fun. There's certainly no reason to not do that. We had a class on magical plants, and we made some kava kava infusion. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So you during the summer we had hibiscus flower infusion. That's fun. You were talking about elderberry elderberry infusion. That's fun. But the stinging nettle, the oat straw, the red clover, and the comfrey leaf are loaded with protein and minerals. Okay, so what I've been doing wrong with that is mix, like I will do in my quart jar, I'll do um, 
nettle and I'll put some red clover in. And sometimes I, oh, I don't really know a lot about oat straw yet. Um, focusing and on a little bit more you, And you won't know anything about oat straw if you keep throwing it in with the other herbs. Yeah. So with the with the infusion, it's the same as with the tincture. You should only just do one. I did not know that either. Nourishing herbal infusions one at a time. Okay. They're not teas. If you want to mix up a bunch of herbs for a tea, that's fun. I'm not against fun. Yeah, but not uh, for the nourishing. Yes, you okay. can have fun with them. Don't turn them into some kind of mixes. They're, they're, so that you can get to know them and so that you can talk beneficially to others using them as simples. Just like you were saying, oh, when you just have one thing to refer to, you can really tell how your body's responding. Yeah. You give yourself a gift. I know that many, many herbalists and many herbal programs sincerely believe that herbs always use, need to be used in combination. And I was certainly taught that too, that you just have to combine the herbs. And what I found was that that really makes up for not using enough herb, not using the herb in the most appropriate form for that particular person and that particular problem, and um, not really understanding enough about the herbs. I was talking to Kathy Cavill last night. We had a wonderful teleseminar on fibroids. And we ranged far and wide from herbs that directly impact fibroids to herbs that can stop profuse bleeding, which is a problem, to herbs that can deal with pain, which is also a problem. And we were talking about Chinese skullcap and American skullcap and the fact that I live where skullcap grows wild, and so I've always been able to make fresh skullcap tincture. And I learned very early on because I harvested some at the same time that a friend did, and my friend drove home and made her tincture. Home was half an hour away, but our tinctures were different. So I learned that the skull, skull cap is very evanescent and must be tinctured immediately. Sometimes I will take the vodka right out to the skull cap patch and tincture it right on site. And we talked about how the tinctures made from dried skull cap are just basically useless. So it, it's just one herb, and it's just one herb so that we can really hone in on how best to use that just one herb. And we start drinking nettle infusion and see what it does for us. And Kathy was also saying that she teaches um, a course, which is body systems. And she says the only herb that is part of every single lesson on body systems, every single body system is nettle. She says, nettle improves the functioning and the health of every single system of the body. That's amazing. Really worthwhile getting into that nettle. And the same thing, you know, we could go right on down the line with the oat straw and the red clover and the comfrey. The linden is not as high in protein, but the trade-off there is that linden is a wonderful anti-inflammatory. In fact, I think linden is far more... uh, effective as an anti-inflammatory um, in North America than turmeric will ever be. Yeah. Turmeric. <laughs> That's just confusing to me. Um, can you use the nettle? We live in Wisconsin. Can you use the nettle that is coming up now 
in like we have some you new can, nettle this Absolutely. I just made nettle soup last weekend. Okay. I figured so, uh, but I did not know. I the only sure. nettle that's considered unsafe to use is nettle that's flowering or in seed. In seed, yes. Yeah. Seeds, okay. of course, are, the seeds, of course, are used. Okay. Well, this has been really wonderful. Thank you so much for all of this information, and um, I look forward to applying it to myself and hopefully getting some of this to work out. <laughs> Thanks so much for your questions. Green blessings. Green blessings. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 732 area code. Hello, Susan. Hi. Hi. This is Ruth from New Jersey. Things are well with you and yours? They are, and I hope the same for you. Thank you. I have a question. Um, I've been reading about osteoporosis. I'm 68, and uh, my doctor wants me to be taking Fosamax. And I've been reading, I just don't know if if this is a good idea or not. Uh, You say walk and take vitamin D, and uh, Fosamax, I don't know. What I'm reading, it may or may not be interfering with the breaking down and reuptake of bones. Well, the current medical theory is that once you lose bone, it's lost forever, and you can't rebuild it. And so the best that can be done is to prevent the breaking down of old bone cells. And that's, as you say, that's pretty much what Fosamax does. It simply holds on to what you have. And given their story, that's the best thing to be done. It's not, however, my story. And I have seen plenty of women reverse osteoporosis. My favorite story comes from a woman who wrote me a letter. She said that her doctor said that she had severe osteoporosis and he wanted her on Fosamax and he wanted her taking calcium supplements and he wanted her walking. And she said, no, 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 I'm not doing any of that. She said over the next couple of years, she lost three inches in height. That is severe osteoporosis. Uh And she hemmed up her pants and she hemmed up her skirts. She said it didn't really bother her, but what bothered her was she was tired. So she Uh asked her daughter what she could do to get more energy and her daughter suggested she drink nettle infusion. Uh-huh. And, and, and you know, she made it easy for her. She bought the dried nettle and weighed it out into one-ounce baggies and sent it to her mom with a couple of quart jars and said, just open one of the baggies and put it in the jar, fill it with boiling water, put a lid on it, let it steep overnight, and then, then the next morning pour it through the strainer into the other jar and, you know, refrigerate it and drink it cold. She said she loved drinking nettle, and she did indeed feel incredibly energized. And after a couple of weeks of doing that, because, of course, she had run out of her nettle. She got back to her daughter and said, well, I want some more nettle. And do you know of any other herbs that I could be drinking? And so her daughter told her about oat straw and about comfrey leaf and about red clover and about linden. And her mom tried. 
each one of those, of course, her daughter sent her the dried herb. And she said, you know, I really like the oat straw and I really like the red clover, so send me more of that. In her letter, she said, every Sunday night I made a quart of linden infusion and a quart of red clover infusion. And then Monday morning I strained them and put them in and I drank them on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then Wednesday night, I made a quart of nettle and a quart of oat straw. And then Thursday morning, strained them, put them in the refrigerator, and I drank them Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And so she was drinking four quarts of infusion per week. She was not exercising. She was not taking any supplements. And within two years, her doctor told her that her bone scan revealed her bone mass was greater at 68 than it had been when she was 40. Mm. Okay. Now, I know other women who have drunk a quart of infusion every day and walked, which she wasn't doing, and eaten at least half a cup of yogurt every day, and they've reversed their osteoporosis in six to eight months. Are we still connected? Are we still connected? Um, it looks like her call did drop. I thought it was your call oh, that okay. dropped. But... I thought it was my call to drop, but no, it was her call. Okay. Okay, let's see if she calls back in. We have lots of other callers, though, with questions, so we'll go down the line. And this one looks like it's coming from out of the country with a, you know who you are? Country code maybe Hi, three, four. Hi. Hi, Hello. I'm calling from Spain, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I was going to say, you stayed up late. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> I did, yeah. I, I'm so excited to actually get through. Um, I prepared my mullen infusion for tomorrow, so I'm excited about that. And, yeah, this is exciting, and I'm kind of nervous because I listen to this all the time, and... Okay, so I have a million questions, but I'm just going to try and ask you one or two. My first question is, how are you? Are you good? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I think we're both doing well tonight. Okay, fantastic. And I was wondering, what infusion are you drinking tonight? Well, right now I am drinking red clover infusion. And okay, we made then. that red we made that red clover infusion on Sunday, so it's getting a little bit old. And mm-hmm. my nose my nose is pretty sensitive to those old infusions. Uh, but I had some kava kava left over. Remember, I said that we made some kava kava for the magical plants workshop. And so I had yeah, some of that nice. left over. There's no there's no protein in it, so it stays good for a really long time. So I just dumped a little kava kava in there so that I could swallow down the oat straw. I didn't brew them together. But I have mixed them together because I, red clover is expensive and I, it's just edgy. If I held my nose, I could do it, but it's hard to hold my nose while I'm talking on the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually found <laughs> some red clover here near the river walking with my dog, and I was so excited to find it. And yesterday I made an oil out of that, so I'm excited. But I, I've only got – I can get maybe like five or six of the – heads of flowers um, at a time, but I mean, I collected like 12 or 14 and I made um, an oil, so we'll see how that goes. Yay, you, how (laughs) exciting. Yeah, Um, okay, so my question was that I collected a bunch of haws this weekend, 
and I was waiting to get some vodka, but I, I haven't got a chance, so I thought, why don't I put it in the apple cider vinegar I have? So I have it in the vinegar, my my haws that I collected from a, from a hawthorn, hawthorn tree here. Um, and I was wondering, I typically use the apple cider vinegar when I'm making bone broth, like to extract more from the bones. Can I use my hawthorn vinegar when I'm doing that? And will it maybe still have the properties of the haws in, if I use it for the bone broth? Yes, you can use it for your bone broth, and it will concentrate okay. the properties of the haws. Okay, cool. Sounds Primari- good. Primarily what vinegar is going to take from plants is minerals. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if if we had some rock that had, say, silver or gold or iron in it, how would we get that, that mineral out? Uh, I I'm not really sure. Well, think about it for a minute. You must have images in your mind of metallurgy. Heat. Mm-hmm. You've seen okay. molten metals, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the more we heat a mineral, the more available it is to us. Okay. All right, so it's going to be even stronger in the broth. It's going to be even better, more mineral rich, exactly. Okay, fantastic. And plus, my other plus question giving your bone broth a great flavor. Okay, cool. I'm excited. So I'll let that I'll let that uh, infuse into the vinegar for a while, and and yeah, use it as I as I make my broths. Um, right. And the other thing is tonight, I actually just got my flight to go visit my family for Thanksgiving, November ish in New York, and uh, I always get really nervous about. Flying, not about flying, but about like being in the air and the dehydration, and I feel like there's so many germs. So, what can I do in preparing for the travel to keep myself healthy? I take with me when I travel a bottle of the tincture of Hypericum perforatum, known to some people as Saint mm-hmm. John's Wort, but known to me as Saint Joan's Wort. While I'm Mm -hmm. in the waiting area at the airport, I take a dropper full in some liquid if I possibly can. It helps me remember to drink a little more. Mm -hmm. And um, then when I get on the plane, I have that that dropper bottle um, right there, you know, in my seat pocket or in my pants pocket. So that I can then take another, I can then take another dropper full right then. And hopefully with something to drink. And then as soon as there's mm-hmm. a beverage service, I'll take another dropper full. Hypericum tincture, of course, is one of the world's primary antivirals. Mm-hmm. So if you're taking it every couple of hours while you're in flight, you don't have to worry about any germs. Okay. Not only, not only that, it, Not only that, it resets your inner clock, so you generally will not experience any jet lag. Okay. All right. Very good. I take, I, I take yet another dose of Hypericum when I get off the plane. And I will reveal that my personal preference is to go to the bathroom before I get on the plane. And that, mm-hmm. at that point, I'm somewhat where there is water, and I take my Hypericum tincture with a mouthful or a handful of water. And then I get on mm-hmm. the plane, and when I 
disembark from the plane, I again go to the ladies' room and relieve myself and take another dropper full of Hypericum tincture with a handful of water. Okay, perfect. I'm going to have to check what the, like, liquid, the amount of liquid you could bring on the I plane. You know never, how. I have I'm, I'm never, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Never. Okay. Have I never anywhere, and I travel all over the world, have I had them mm-hmm. bother me about having a tincture bottle with me. It's one ounce. The amount that you can carry is just under three ounces. But if you're taking large amounts, they want it to be in a Ziploc bag. I do not put my Hypericum tincture in a Ziploc bag. I don't put any of my tinctures in a Ziploc bag. (laughs) I put my shampoo and stuff like that in a Ziploc bag. All right. Okay. Well, we'll see. Very good. I have never, ever had a problem. But if you think it's going to be a problem, you can always just leave a little extra room in your Ziploc bag. Okay, perfect. But I... You know, I have flown to Germany, Spain, Italy, France, England, um, Denmark, um, Czech Republic, Australia, New Zealand, and never had any problem with carrying a tincture. Okay, cool. Very good. I remember I had a traumatizing, well, not, it wasn't terrible, but with almond butter that I bought and I wanted it in my carry on. They were oh, like, no, you can't almond butter. No, 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 no. Absolutely. No, almond butter, yeah. honey, peanut butter. No, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. Okay, great. So I'll, I'll get myself some hypericum. I did make some oil this summer because I found a few uh, St. Jones or, uh, flowers around here, but not enough. And I didn't actually make any tincture, but I have some oil, which I absolutely love. But I'll see if I can find someone who made a tincture. And yeah. Goody. All right. Yeah. Thank right. you so much. I love listening to you and have a wonderful night. Green blessing. Sweet dreams. Green blessing. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. <laughs> I do not see the other caller whose call dropped, so we'll go to the next call. This coming from the 518 area code. Hello? Hi. Hi. Um, so my question about seven years ago, I developed a very bad heroin and cocaine addiction. And um, I went through that for about two years and then so that was about five years ago I stopped and I discovered and went on a vegan diet. Um, I'm sorry, I thought you, that was you want like, you 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 on a vegan diet when you stopped? Yes, I, I really kind of felt that that was like going to help cleanse me and kind of like, you know, help me detox from all the drugs. Um, and I did that for five years, but recently I've been having like vision issues and just like... Um, just lots of issues, and I, I started to eat meat again, and yogurt, and eggs, and beef liver, and my body. Oh, blessed be! I am so <laughs> glad that you have finally stopped hating yourself. Thank you, thank you for choosing life. Now, what you did ran yourself down, you know, through your addictions, and then deprived yourself of nourishment. Yes, I felt like I'm looking back. I feel like I should have done like something like a rebuilding diet. Exactly. 
yeah. rather than a cleansing diet because yeah. your body will naturally get rid of what it doesn't want so long as it's nourished well enough. But yeah. if you're focusing on cleansing, your body can't nourish itself. Mm-hmm. It depends on us to put that in. So are you drinking nourishing herbal infusions now? Um, I, I, I was over the years. I, I really have to be more consistent about it. I'll usually drink one or two a week. Yeah, that's a good idea. You know, get some. It's a good time of the year to you know get in several pounds of each one of the herbs that you have it there, and it's available to you. And you can make it a little easier for yourself by making half a gallon at a time, so you have two days supply. So long as it's kept refrigerated, mm-hmm. it'll be good. I'm talking about drinking. We're just finishing up this red clover. That was made for Sunday, and here it is Tuesday. It's a little bit edgy for me, but it's not like it's bad. Yeah. You know, I've eaten soup that's edgier, let's put it this way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what advice do you have for, like, rebuilding uh, my diet and getting, you know, myself back um, to, like, a healthy state? Dr- drink a quart of nourishing herbal infusion every day. Mm-hmm. Eat, cooked, eat well-cooked greens every day. And by well-cooked greens, I mean... Greens that have been cooked for at least an hour. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then other than that, it sounds like you're doing great. The new dietary advice is that cholesterol in food does not have impact on heart health. <clears throat> there are those of us who've been saying this for the past 50 years. We're glad that science is finally catching up to the truth that butter and meat and eggs, although sources of cholesterol, are not cholesterol that is going to give you a heart attack, and they have a place in a healthy diet. The problem is when these foods are in a diet that does not contain well-cooked vegetables and whole grains. Mm-hmm. So yeah. long as you are getting a good quantity of whole grains, whether that is 100% whole wheat bread or brown rice or quinoa, any whole grain is absolutely fine. And, of course, a variety of them even better. And then well-cooked vegetables. We often talk about how at the Wise Women's Center, the children come back to the table demanding seconds of the vegetables. And their parents are going, I can't even get my kid to eat carrots at home, and they want seconds on carrots. My kids throw up their, their, their hands and, and scream if I serve kale. And they're going back for thirds of your kale. And I say, yes. We cook our vegetables, and these children's bodies know that they can get yeah. the goods now, and so they Break want Break the cell it. walls. Break the cell walls, Break right? the cell walls. Yeah, I watched say, the video. You, you don't eat raw. Video. You don't eat. You, you watch the raw versus cooked debate. It's quite the deal, huh? <laughs> yeah, with that woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, like, raw, we were on a TV show with this woman who was talking about, like, live foods, which I, yeah. Tried at one my, point, my well, my dear, good. dear friend Brigitte, and actually, you know, that's why I didn't let that video be released because I didn't think she looked good in it. <laughs> and I, I wanted to, I wanted to protect her, but the person who did the video, you know, put it up on YouTube, so we didn't have very much to say about that. So there it is. And, okay. you know, personally, I'm, I'm glad because I think it was very interesting debate. So it sounds to me like you're doing really, really well. All right. Yeah, and the, eggs the, and, yeah. yeah, get some eggs yeah. and butter and meat. Those are, you know, don't do them yeah. to the exclusion of vegetables and grains. And then the other okay. thing that we can all do, and I, uh, you know, every once in a while I say to myself, and how much seaweed are you eating, Susan? Are you eating seaweed regularly? I am. Good, good. 
I think you got it really well covered. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. Thank you for loving yourself. Thank you for choosing life. It makes my heart so glad. Thank you. Have a great night. You too. Great blessings. Green blessings. Okay, I think I skipped this caller in line in the 937 area code. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you tonight? I'm well. How about you? I'm I'm doing very well. I guess uh, first I would just like to kind of testify, as we used to say in church when I went to such places, um, I a few years ago my kidney function went downhill and when my GFR was at 50 and then I discovered your books and your teachings and I started doing the nourishing herbal infusions last year my GFR was at 74 I was just able to stop one of my blood pressure medications because I've been taking hawthorn and motherwort and passionflower and thank you so much for making the information available you are welcome and thank you for using it because it's a relationship it is you yeah you're the one you're the one who did it you you decided that you could be healthy and so you are congratulations thank you so much thank you it's very empowering to say, no, you can do this. And I've noticed, like uh, a couple of years ago, I developed a sore in my mouth. And then all of a sudden, Prunella started showing up everywhere in the yard, Prunella vulgaris. So it's like, hmm, there's a lot of all of you around here, and I've got this sore. Hmm. Hmm. So thank you so much for making the information so accessible Um, my question for you is what uses besides the magical does blue vervain verbena histata have well let's see what some other people say about it only the white vervain grows around me. So I don't have blue vervain. One of the first places that I like to go is to the herb book by John John Lutz. Right. And and why he's got like over five hundred herbs here. Uh So let's see. Blue cohosh, blue flag, blue vervain, verbena hastata. The medicinal part is the root stock and the herb. It is an mm-hmm. antiperiodic, diaphoretic, emetic, expectorant, vermifuge, and vulnerary. Blue vervain has been called a natural tranquilizer. The warm tea, often recommended for fevers and colds, it is useful for those with insomnia and other nervous conditions and may help eliminate intestinal worms. Mm. Externally, blue vervain tea heals sores and wounds. Use mm-hmm. two teaspoons of the root stock with one pint of boiling water, or make a tincture 
of the root and take 10 to 20 drops at a time. Hmm. Okay. So John, John Lust, I'll tell you, usually has something to say about mm-hmm. the plant. This mm-hmm. is a really, really rare plant because he covers them all. Then I also really like to look and see what Alma Hutchins has to say. Um, because okay. Lou Vervain is an American herb, and her Indian herbology of North America um, is a very well-researched book, and I like it because um, she also includes a lot of Russian information. Blue, blue beech, blueberry, blue flag, blue ginseng, blue gum, blue mountain tea, blue pimpernel, blue skullcat, blue vervain, and it doesn't have its own listing, but it's listed with other things on page 59 and 285. Oh, it does have its own listing. Blue vervain, verbena hastata, also called Indian hyssop. Mm-hmm. It is native to temperate and tropical America, the Mediterranean region, and the Near East. There are 352 known species and subspecies of vervain. Huh. Numerous of them have been employed medicinally. It has a square stalk and is often confused with mint and nettle. I find that the white vervain is often confused by students with both mint mint and nettle. More often nettle because it's a big plant. Vervain likes dry, hard soil along roadsides and fields. For medicinal purposes, collect it when in full flower, June, July, or August. Medicinal parts, roots, leaves, and stems, best solvent is water. Diaphoretic, expectorant, emetic, antiperiodic, nervine, tonic, sudorific, antispasmodic. A capable capital agent for invoking all diseases of the spleen and liver. In cases of obstinate menstruation, it is advantageous. When circulation of the blood is weak or languid, vervain increases and restores it to proper operation. The infusion cold is a good tonic for those with constitutional debilities and during convalescence. Its value will be soon found to be apparent in scrofula, stones, gravel, but its virtues are more wonderful in the effect they produce on those with epilepsy or fits. Dr. O.P. Brown in The Complete Herbalist says, I found after close investigation an elaborate experiment that prepared in a certain way and compounded with bone set Eupatorium perfoliatum, water pepper, polygonum, punctatum, and chamomile anthemus novellus in tincture form that it has no equal for the cure of fits, also for indigestion and liver complaints. A more valuable plant is not to be found within the whole range of the herbal pharmacopoeia. It is the antidote to poke poisoning. Ah. Huh. Wow, so what doesn't it do? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, there's so much. Uh, What's been your personal experience with it? I don't use it. It doesn't grow where I live. Yeah, it doesn't, does it? Right. Okay. The the white vervain grows. The white. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I 
have not ever had occasion to to use it. Of course, nowadays, if somebody has the fits, we would call um, epilepsy, right? Mm -hmm. And the herb of choice for anyone who's dealing with epilepsy, of course, is going to be cannabis. Oh, yeah. It works directly on the brain areas. There are other herbs besides blue vervain that have had the reputation of curing or quelling fits or falling sickness, as it's sometimes Mm -hmm. called in the older herbals. But I don't think in this day and age that anybody would look any further than cannabis. Um, This is, well, related to the cannabis thing. Um, I... I believe that I am allergic to cannabis, and maybe it's just the strains that I've gotten a hold of. Um, in the 70s, when I smoked, it, it didn't make me nauseous, but now it's too much. And it, my father has the same reaction. So if you smoke... Uh-huh. Some modern cannabis, yes. even a tiny bit, you feel nauseated. Yep, one hit, I ended up in the emergency room a few years ago. Because so. you felt so nauseated? Oh my gosh, I threw up so much. I couldn't stop throwing up. So, And my father well, told me he has the same experience. So it's, it is certainly possible. Anything is possible. On the other hand, I often refer to the woman who wrote into Prevention Magazine and said that she drank a cup of hot tea and have, had a heart attack. People should be warned. <laughs> well, it's not the first time it's happened to me. So, yeah, and all things are anecdotal when it comes to that. So. When it comes to that, right. So all I can say is that I was in Washington State. I did go into a cannabis store. And they had maybe 40 or 50 strains. I'm sorry, you're breaking up a little bit. I'm having a hard time. Yeah, I'm sorry, Mike. Not good here. So they had 40 or 50 different different strains, you know, Uh and I said, you know, um, oh, well, I would like something, you know, that's that's uh, relaxing, but that I could still write. They said, oh, yes, yes, we have, you know, uh, cerebrally, cerebral (laughs) and sedative stuff. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, it, that my take on it is kind of like the person who says, well, I don't like mushrooms. I'm like, but there's so many different kinds. Let's, yeah. you know, let's keep working with it to see. And not that you have to use this herb in any way at all, um, but that there is such a variety mm-hmm. um, that, that should you it's want, true. should you want to, I think that there would be a way for it to happen. Yeah, I've wondered about and the you, CBD oil, if I could utilize that. So, Well, there's two kinds of CBD oil. There's CBD oil, which is just the cannabis infused in oil, which is used topically right. to relieve pain, and that seems to work very well for people. And then there's um, a kind of oil which is made by reducing it, and it's very, very expensive, like $100 a gram, which is used to treat mm. cancer. And that's also right. called CBD oil. And, so is that more and like you an have, essential if you oil? Have a reaction, if you have a reaction to smoking it, you are absolutely going to have a reaction to taking it internally. Okay. 
Oh, yeah. Much, yeah. much, 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 much worse. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's happened often enough that I'm a little, well, more than a little leery of it, so. Yeah, so reasonable. But now I know that uh, Vervane in some ways (laughs) could be used to the... Isn't that wonderful? Yes, yes, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I think that's all I have. Thank you so much. Green blessings. Good night. Thank you. Good night. All right. It looks like we have just over eight minutes left, and we have two callers with questions still. Okay. All right. The next caller is coming from the 252 area code. Hi, Susan. This is Jen from the flooded area in North Carolina, and I can be quick so the other caller can take most of the time. I'm questioning root crops. I'm getting feedback that my sweet potatoes need to be discarded, and they did survive the flooding. And I have poke that I've been growing for three seasons in one area and two seasons in another, and I'm wondering if I have to be cautious about those roots. I'm unclear as to why you would have to be cautious. Maybe you could tell me a little more about what you're being told. I'm from the from the from the vegetable gardening. Are they, are they concerned? Are they concerned about E. coli? I think they're concerned about bacterial contamination. But my thought is, if I'm going to cook them or dry them in al- or, or steep them in alcohol, I, I'm going to kill everything, aren't I? <laughs> I don't know. You know, that's why I, I'm not sure. And I, and I think, it, you know, there's this hypervigilance now with everybody about what you do after the flood. And so um, I thought I'd ask you. I understand. We all always go down in deeper into the Hudson River Valley. We live in the upper Hudson River Valley. And we go deeper down into the real apple growing areas and buy a bin of apples, which is a thousand pounds of apples. And this year, we paid a lot more for the apples. Still, a a minuscule amount. We paid $80 for 1,000 pounds of apples. (laughs) And we asked why the price was so much more than usual. I mean, we paid as little as $20 for 1,000 pounds of apples. And he said, because everybody is frightened of E. coli, and so I'm not selling any apples that have touched the ground. Okay. So every single one of the apples in our bin was an apple that had been picked from the tree and hand put into that bin. And it, and we have not even had flooding, but people are, are really panicked about E. coli. So here's some questions you can ask yourself. Do I tend to be the one at the party who gets the food poisoning, or I do I tend to be the one who says, that's odd, I ate that and I feel fine. Yeah, never. I, I, I eat dirt for a Exactly, yeah. right. Am I like, I've, I'm the kind of person who will pick food right up off the floor and eat it, put it right in my mouth without a second thought. Doesn't bother me in the least because I know my body and my gut can handle it. But that doesn't mean everybody can do that. I do not believe that the more problematic forms of E. coli are killed by heat. I think that's what makes them a problem is that they survive cooking, which is why they're food poisoning, right? Okay. 
I don't think they would survive an alcohol bath. Nor would you get very much of them in a tincture. The problem with eating foods that might be contaminated with E. coli is we tend to eat larger amounts of foods than we take tinctures, yes? Yeah. So if I have a doubt in my mind about the food, it's not something I should take to a community gardening event and say, hey, we're going to have sweet potatoes in November. Exactly. Okay. But go ahead and use the poke. I've got a three-year poke, and I'll I'll make a tincture out of that this fall and let the two-year stuff grow back next year if it will and and then just see from there. Use it. Okay. Yeah. And if you're comfortable with eating those sweet potatoes, eat them. But I agree with you. Don't take them to a community event. Okay. I, you know, I press apple cider from those apples that I bought, and I don't wash the apples. Okay, they were out in a really yeah. heavy rain, so we could consider that washed. And it's not pasteurized, and I went to visit a friend in a short-term care facility, and I didn't take any of that cider with me. That wouldn't be, I see that, that yeah, somebody with a fragile system might not handle that well. Because there could be E. coli in there, right? Even though those were really good apples and they never touched the ground. (sighs) You know, I don't sterilize my cider equipment with bleach. Yeah. So I'm not going to take it to a place where there's a fragile population. I'm going to give it to people with good, strong gut flora. Okay. So my my household can probably eat them. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Bring blessings. You too. Bye. Okay, our last caller before our guest arrives is coming from the 608 area code. Good evening, Susan. Hello. Good evening. Hi. Yes, you know, I'm I'm call. I just want to make a quick call. First of all, thank you for all the help you've given me over the years. I really appreciate it. And uh, just want to say. Oh, and um. I have uh, I have I have made some rhodiola tincture and I have some leftover rhodiola root. Uh, I understand that you can make a de- decoction out of it. So how do you do that? You can make a decoction out of it. You can also make an infusion out of it. And the way to make an infusion oh. is to use one ounce of the root in anywhere from a pint to a quart of water and steep for four to ten hours and then have a rhodiola fusion to make oh, a okay, decoction so I could do... yeah, okay. which is pretty easy to make a decoction what you usually do is make a weaker brew like a mm-hmm. teaspoons, couple of teaspoons to a cup of water and mm-hmm. boil that and boil it until you've boiled it down by half Okay. So one of the reasons I started making infusions is because I was very, very poor at making decoctions, and they would almost always burn. Yes. Because I would get distracted at the the critical point. Yeah, me too. You just can't. You can't, right. You can't burn an infusion. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that I can make an infusion out of it because I am lazy, and that 
That sounds much, much easier. Much <laughs> easier. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I can get a little more life out of this rhodiola before it goes in my compost. There you go. Okay. All right. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Green blessings. Green blessings. And it must be time for our guest. Am I still connected? It is. Yeah, you are still connected. And I am um, not seeing her call in the queue, but maybe she'll still call in here in the next minute. If not, we'll try her. All righty. Dr. Kate Lund is a licensed clinical psychologist and a performance coach. She has more than 15 years of experience and specialized training in medical psychology from Shriners Hospital for Children in Boston and from Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and from Massachusetts General Hospital, all of which affiliated with medical school. Dr. Kate Lund is also an adjunct instructor in psychology at Best Year in Seattle. As a mother and a psychologist, Kate Lund is deeply concerned about the prevalence of social media bullying and anxiety in American children. In she shares tips and tools on how to help children deal with anxiety, which spotlight on resilience and how it helps students thrive. Resilience is important, she says, because resilience is what helps children bounce back from challenge and move forward, even when they are challenged. There's personal experience where this concept of resilience was drawn from. When Kate was a child, she was diagnosed with hydrocephalus, which involved multiple surgeries for her head had to be shaved, and of course her difference in appearance made her a target for the other children. With the guidance of her parents and her own resilience, she was able to overcome that challenge and to succeed. Have we found Dr. Kate Lund yet? I do not see her phone number on here, but if you are here, Kate, will you please press 1 to, so we know that you're here? All right. Well, hang on just a moment, everyone, and we will call her. This is Kate. Please leave me a message and I'll call you back soon. Thanks. At the tone, please. I'm going to, I have two phone numbers for her, so I'm going to go ahead and try her other phone number here. Try the other one, yeah. Kate? Uh, who's this? 
This is Susan Weed calling for Dr. Kate Lund. She has an appointment to be interviewed by me tonight, October 9th at 9 p.m. East Coast time, 6 p.m. Seattle time. Is that you? Oh, my goodness. Yes, it certainly is, and I am so very, very sorry. My um, publicist told me that the interview was at 6.30. Oh, well, by then we'll be off the air. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well... I am so, so sorry. Here we, here we are. I am totally ready. Great. I think the name of your book is Bounce. Is that correct? Yes, it sure is. Are you still there? Oh, Hello? my goodness. That was, I, hi, my name is Rebecca. I'm the, the moderator of the show and... Um, Susan's call did just drop, so just bear with us, and we'll have her back on in just a moment. We've been having some oh. te- technical difficulties the last couple of shows, so. Oh, okay. Sorry All about right. the. And can you can you hear the, me? Okay. Yeah, we can hear you great. Oh, yeah, excellent. Okay, perfect. Awesome. Sorry, so yeah. so sorry about that timing thing. Goodness, my publicist gave me six thirty. Oh, I'm not sure what happened there. Um, yeah, I schedule some interviews through Elise, so and they're always at the same time, so I'm not sure how there was confusion, but but these right, things no happen. Worries. Communicating <laughs> online. Sure, sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Well. See if Susan gets back on here. She has been calling right back in, so here she is. Are you back Have with you us, found Susan? Me, Rebecca? Yes, it's yep, me. There you are. Okay, great. Wonderful. Okay. Dr. Kate, uh, I think you wrote a book called Bounce. Yes, I sure did. Could you tell us a little bit about what caused you to write this book? Sure, absolutely. So I am a uh, clinical psychologist and a mom, and I was also a kid who grew up with a serious medical condition called hydrocephalus. And so those are the three sort of reasons why I wrote the book. I've, I've long been interested because of my own personal experience as a kid in the topic of resilience. And then... In my work as a clinical psychologist, obviously it's sort of a, a primary piece of what I do, helping folks to build resilience and move through and beyond the challenges they're facing. And then, um, you know, I've got my own uh, 10-year-old twins who I watch sort of go through the trials and tribulations of the elementary school years. And so those three perspectives came together to prompt me to write the book. So bounce is threads from your life that you have pulled together to weave into something that can be of use to others. Exactly, yes, precisely. That's the big idea. It's written um, with the parent, the teacher, the coach in mind to help them have a framework or a structure um, to think about building uh, resilience in the kids that, you know, they they know, they work with, they love their own kids, what have you. Um, so absolutely. 
yes, it, it, in a kind of funny way, um, when parents complain to me about their kids, you know, um, spending time, time online, and I say, well, what are they doing? Is it social media actually doing games? If they say games, I said, that's great because those games build resilience. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, you know, they certainly they certainly can. Um in many ways. Uh and as long as it's not excessive, absolutely. There's a balance, perfect. What are some tips that you offer in bounce for us? Uh well, so bounce uh really outlines uh seven pillars of the resilient child. Um as I've come to understand them through my own experience as a child, as well as my, you know, more than 15 years working as a clinical psychologist, and then what I've observed in my own kids. So those seven pillars are um, this ability to tolerate frustration and um, manage emotion, uh, the ability to navigate friendship and social pressure, um, the whole idea of developing focus and sustaining attention. And then we talk about um, things such as developing courage, confidence, optimism, and motivation. And together we see those um, attributes or skills, if you will, as the seven pillars of resilience in childhood. And I would say in adulthood as well. Well, exactly, and that's a really, really good point, and an important point is that um, all of these pillars apply to all of us throughout the lifespan in different ways, and it just so happens that Bounce is written with that elementary school child in mind, so the um, stories that back up the points and all of that sort of thing come from those years but it is true, all of these principles apply to all of us across the lifespan, and we can think of them developmentally in that way. And it looks like Susan's call dropped again, so sorry about that. Okay, no problem. So is this um, is this live right now? It is live, and feel free to uh, keep keep talking. And um, if you want to expand on that, here here she is again. So okay, <laughs> I'm sorry that uh, <laughs> my uh, my phone service has been very erratic for the past couple of weeks. I do apologize, but what you're saying is so interesting. Um, I hope that everybody is getting it and able to hear you loud and clear. One of the things that I find in helping older people develop resilience is um, that they are less likely than children to be willing to try something that they might fail at. Right, and that is a really, really important point that you bring up and something that we definitely address a lot throughout Bounce is this idea of, you know, taking that risk, taking that first step forward when something feels hard, something feels out of reach or impossible, and really helping kids um, within a structure, um, supportive framework to do that. And it's a skill that really, um, if we can get it going, embed it in those early years, hopefully that older um, adult, that older person will have an easier time with it moving forward because it's so, so important for all of us. I think that my parents were very, very good at that with me in that they um, generally gave me 
access to things I was really interested in, but didn't damn me if after a couple of years I was no longer interested. Excellent. Yes. And so that's another really important point you bring up. What What's so, so important for, for parents, caregivers, teachers, coaches, anyone who's in contact with kids, helps to sort of guide them in directions to let them experience things, try them out, um, such that they'll hopefully, um, you know, navigate towards their passion. But at the same time, it's true. After a couple years, after a while of doing something, maybe, you know, you're, you're looking for a change in direction, and that will help you to develop a new skill, find a new strength, develop a new passion. And all of that is such an important piece of the process. Exactly. Not just saying, okay, well, I've got this. I can't move on. But saying, okay, I've got this. What's next? In fact, I often teased that I became an herbalist because I couldn't get to the bottom of it. Mm, yes, absolutely, right? So you were right? trying many different things, and sometimes that can open some really, really interesting doors, take kids in directions they might never have expected, but then they'll develop, develop some real strengths in that process, and that makes them even more resilient. Did you let the challenge that you had to face, both with a, a diagnosis of something, but more specifically with a shaved head, did you let that challenge define who you were? Absolutely not. And that was a really um, positive thing for me. But, you know, it was the people in my life, because I was pretty young when all that was happening, right? And... um it was the people in my life who, you know, really interacted with me, treated me as the kid that I was as opposed to the condition that I had, and that really helped me to define myself in the same way. So, yeah, I had these challenges um, related to the hydrocephalus, tons of surgeries in and out of the hospital, but when I was out of the hospital, when things were going well, you know, I defined myself as a student. I defined myself as a tennis player. It was a non-contact sport, and I became very good at it as a young kid. And, you know, I was able to see those those abilities in myself, largely because that process was, was started by, you know, my parents, my teachers, good friends, that sort of thing. So I was very, very fortunate in that way because it's so, so important. We don't want kids within the context of a challenge. You know, and we're all going to face challenges to define themselves by that challenge. We want them to really past that challenge, despite the fact that challenge is real, and, you know, really define themselves as who they are as a person instead. This is Susan Weed talking with Dr. Kate Lund about her new book, Bounce. What's the best place for people to connect with Bounce? Uh, well, you know, they can find information on Bounce on my website, which is drkatelund.com. Um, and they can also... That's Kate with a K. Yes, exactly. DrKateLund.com. And they can also find information um, about it on uh, Amazon.com. Uh, there's quite a bit there. Um, so it's it's definitely out there. Wonderful. You talk about confidence as an important concept. Could you explain a little more to us about that? Sure, absolutely. So 
as I mentioned before, sort of having the confidence to take that first step forward when things seem out of reach is a big piece of it. Um, sort of that goes along with courage, sort of confidence and courage. Um, but in and of itself, we want kids to develop or start developing this idea of confidence, being sure of themselves early on by trying things and then understanding that, you know, sometimes it'll work out, sometimes it won't, and shifting directions, trying again, and then developing competence over time through practice and repetition, and ultimately that will make them more confident overall to take those chances, try new things, and that process in and of itself will make them stronger and more resilient and better able to um, tolerate the points in time when things don't go well at first or they do hit a challenge, an obstacle, and they get knocked down. They'll have the, the courage, the confidence to get back up and keep moving forward through and beyond the challenge. I often remind people that Bill Gates put his first two businesses into bankruptcy. Yes, yes, right. It's okay okay to fail. It's okay to make a mess. It's okay to do it wrong. What somebody said, what famously to Thomas Edison? Well, you you know, you've tried a hundred different ways to make a a light bulb, and you haven't done it. And Thomas Edison says, "But yes, I know a hundred ways that don't work now." Exactly right. And to reframe those failures or reframe those moments when things don't go right, it's really at the foundation of all success moving forward and to help kids understand that and integrate that into their way of being is so, so important and will make them um, much more equipped as adults to, you know, manage the challenges, manage the failures, because where in our life does everything go right the first time? Where in our life does everything go right in general, you know, and it's so, so important. To me, one of the great sadnesses of parenting is always that I want very much to give the next generation survival skills, but my survival skills, by definition, are outmoded and outdated. Mm, Yes. The best that I can give them is exactly what you're giving them, the right direction to head on. If If it makes you feel, you know, like you are getting more resilient, you're going in the right direction. Exactly. Exactly. And it's a process. You bring up a really good point because none of this is going to happen overnight, right? It's a process that's got to evolve and unfold over time through, at points, trial and error, you know, because, you know, all kids are going to respond to these principles, these pillars in different ways. Um, And, you know, the process, for example, of helping a child to develop um, a more optimistic framework, um, might take much longer for one child and might be much more innate, much more natural for another to sort of notice what's going well in addition to what might be hard as opposed to that other child who might just focus in on the negative and that process of trying to shift the trajectory to, well, I get that that's hard, but what's going right at the same time? What might might be a positive in this situation, a takeaway, a lesson that you can learn? So it's it's different for everybody. And we're all trained to look for what's wrong with this picture. 
find right. eight things that are wrong with this picture. And you can't really, you know, like have, look for ten things that are right with this picture. So you right. can't just and turn it around. So it's not really quite as easy to teach that somebody how to um, really make lemonade out of lemons. Right. Right. Or somebody said it's easy if you have enough sugar. So maybe, <laughs> what we, maybe what we just need to do is to help each other develop a little more internal sweetness so that lemonade becomes a far more attractive idea to all of us. Now, you know, there's a variety of things that that I think that we we might want to do, which could be somewhat contradictory, like if somebody's getting put down, like say a woman is being uh, beaten or verbally harassed, um, should I stand up for her? Should I say something? Uh, should I slink away? Um, you know, what would the resilient thing to be to do? And similarly, if somebody is really being confrontational with me, um, it, is it better if I, you know, really stand up for myself or is it better if I turn the other cheek or is it better if I find a, a back door? Right. So, so interesting. And really, we we want, um, you know, we want to be able to stand up for ourselves, to, you know, express our opinion, but also with the understanding, and this is what we want to, you know, teach our kids as well, also the understanding of, you know, it might be that that other person isn't going to agree with us, is still going to be confrontational. And the idea is we can't change the behavior of other people. We can't change how we can, we can um, change how that behavior impacts us and our ability to walk away. Um, really what, what's at the core of sort of um, this conflict management are these skills which are inherent in social-emotional intelligence, emotional intelligence, the ability to understand individual difference and appreciate it um, and embrace it. And we really want those folks who might be extra confrontational or the bullies, if you will, to embrace those skills such that that will then cut down on the bullying behavior. Um, And so we really want to embed these skills of emotional intelligence in children early such that you know, bullying behavior is reduced, and those who are bullied are better able to manage it and tolerate it. Um, not that it's ever going to be easy. Um, and, again, it's a, it's a process that has to unfold over time. No real easy answers there. I don't, I don't think there ever are any real easy answers because these are very complex situations and very nuanced situations. Yes, absolutely. That is a huge point. And so what we can do, you know, in ourselves as adults with some of these pillars, as well as in kids, do our best to instill the fundamentals um, with the idea in this social-emotional domain that we, in fact, aren't going to be able to change the behavior of other folks, you know, of other people. But we have to be able to manage um, how the behavior impacts us and how we're able, what we're able to do with it moving forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how do we, since we have already said, oh, these are very difficult 
up things for adults. How do we help guide children when they, because sometimes children um, are more directly impacted by things, these things than adults, simply because they're around children who have less social skills. Right, right. And so, you know, really working at home, instilling these um, principles of uh, emotional intelligence in our kids is so, so important. It doesn't always happen in the home. So, you know, in schools, I am a firm believer that social-emotional um, education and curriculum needs to be put in place early, early on um, so that kids are really learning from the outset how to embrace individual difference. You know, just because, um, you know, your classmate, for example, I'll use myself as an example, has a shaved head and isn't in school a lot because she's in the hospital, you know, doesn't make her a bad person. It makes her different. So try to embrace that difference, understand that child as a human being, and really forge a relationship as opposed to ridiculing and putting down that type of thing. It's sort of a, um, you know, an outlier for example, but, you know, we can do that in all domains of um, the social-emotional experience for kids early on. And then talking to our kids over time in developmentally appropriate ways um, to help them to um, integrate these skills over time so that they, you know, develop in age-appropriate ways and can be used um, more robustly as time goes on. It's just such an important um, area of curriculum an area of conversation and communication between parents and children. Yes, I often mourn that children don't get the experience that I got. In my grade school, there were children of all abilities. Mm. Yes. There, were, there, there was a girl in my class with a wooden leg. Wow. There, yes. there, was, a, there was a boy who had one eye. There was a Down syndrome child. Yeah. And they, they were in the normal school, and we as school kids had to learn how to include them. They Wonderful. Weren't, they weren't separated out from us, and I think it's so much harder for children nowadays because these special children are now often separated out. Right, right. Yeah, that is that is very different, what you're, what you're describing. Um, but at the same time, you know, I truly believe that there are plenty of opportunities for us to help kids to develop the skills of emotional intelligence early, early on, um, because difference really is all around us. might not be as overt in the classroom these days, but there are a lot of kids who, who stand out with differences in various ways, and these opportunities are often missed, and then, um, you know, bullying emerges and ridicule emerges and such and such things. So, so, so important to integrate that school curriculum early, early on, as well as in the family curriculum, if you, if you will, um, family discussion, dinner table discussion, um, any opportunity that, that one can find. Just talking to our kids about these issues from an early age is so, so important. It's hard to believe that our time is almost up, Dr. Lund. It has been so wonderful speaking with you tonight. This is well, Susan Reed, 
and I am talking to Dr. Kate Lund about her book, Bounce, which you can find at Kate, K-A-T-E, Lund, L-U-N-D, dot com. Did I get that right? Uh, it's drkatelund.com. So drkatelund.com, and there you can find Bounce and lots of other things. And we are down to the last minute of the show. What would you like to leave the listeners thinking about? What would you like to leave in their hearts? Well, you know, just this idea of never let go of the possibility. Um, you know, always look for the possibility on the other side of challenge. That's what we, we like to really, um, really leave folks with um, when we're talking about bounce and what's possible. Thank you so much, Dr. Kate Lund, for writing your book, for your care, for all of us, and especially for the children and for all the work that you're doing. And I know that you are going to be doing. Uh, The way I talk about this is that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And I want to thank you and appreciate the threads and the beauty that you have brought to the reweaving of this cloak. Thank you so much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. You are so welcome. And thank you, Rebecca. I hold hands with you, my sister, as we uh, do our dream journey here. I have a feeling that we will be together this week since it was a week we planned to be together. I think that our spirits um, never get canceled. Thank you. Green blessings, everybody. Until next week. Green blessings.